Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joining you for the Tuesday week four review, all the advanced stats, all the grades, uh, dipping into the analytical nerd talk around fourth downs and expected points added. And I have a little bit of a new wrinkle this week where I'm going to give you what I'm calling my game grades. Now, what I do is I'm going to look at the underlying stats for different games. I'm going to make adjustments based upon things that are a little bit more unusual, things that maybe are not sustainable, things like how many actual interceptions there are versus turnover-worthy plays that we're tracking, uh, things like drops. So I'm making adjustments for all of these different things. And then to come up with a final score that would have happened in a more normalized game structure. So uh, just to go over a little bit more here, because I want to make sure everyone's aware of this as I'm going to be talking about the different game grades here. So the biggest adjustment is focusing more on success rate versus the actual efficiency. And here we're using expected points added per play. So I'm going to be focusing more on the rushing and the drop back success rates, the overall success rates. It's still going to factor in these explosive plays that are really going to make the difference between what your success rate would be and what your actual uh, play is going to be still going to factor in, you know, interceptions, fumbles, still going to factor in a big thing is late down conversions, third down conversions or fourth down conversions. So those things will still be factored in. They're just going to be uh, downweighted versus what they are in a normal game. Um, as we always know, when pe- people talk about, you know, the, the, the team that wins the turnover battle wins X percent of the time, it's a very high percentage of the time. And while sometimes that is signal because one team may be more prone to turnovers over a long period of time. Sometimes with things like rushing fumbles, things like muffed kickoffs that we're going to talk about in a game later today, things like that are fairly random, but have huge, huge effects on the game. So I'm going to try to adjust a lot of those different factors, and that'll give a better idea of how good a particular team was or not. And then we dig in even further. We dig into the individual plays. We dig into what some of the turnover-worthy plays actually look like, whether they should have been called that or not, and so on and so forth. So that's what we're going to do, everything here. But before I get into all the different games from the weekend and from Monday night, I want to give a shout out to the other PFF podcasts here and also the subscription you can get with Edge or Elite A lot of the stats and grades I'm going to be talking about on this podcast are available through these subscriptions. Of course, what I've really enjoyed are the other PFF podcasts, and I'm sure you're probably tuning in to either the forecast with Eric Eager or George Chahuri talking about the betting angles there. Uh, You can also talk, you can also listen in to Austin Gale and Mike Renner and the PFF newly branded tailgate podcast. I'm enjoying the wrap ups that they're doing there. And of course, the Chris Collinsworth podcast and the main show, the main PFF NFL pod with Sam and Steve. So check out all that and more. And plus all the fantasy football information that we have as the weeks continue to go forward and DFS becomes a bigger thing as your seasonal fantasy teams start to die out here. So check out everything available at PFF. Okay, I'm not going to go in order of the games played. I reviewed the Thursday night game last week. I want to start with what I think was the most impactful game in terms of how we're viewing the elite teams in the NFL and how we're viewing the MVP race and how we're viewing the quarterback position. And that would be the Cardinals and the Rams. So 
this game ended up being the Cardinals winning 37 to 20 over the Rams. Now, when you look at the numbers that I'm calculating here, as far as the game grades are concerned, and that you're going to find this to be the case, a decent amount of time is that the game grades are a little bit closer as far as the point differential is than what it was in the actual game. Not always, but, but often you'll find that the case. So the, the expected score, the game grades that I came up here were uh, 32 points for the Cardinals and then 27 points for, uh, for the Rams. So it's a little bit closer than what, than what you would have, than what the actual score was. If you want to dig through the particulars for why that was the case, um, well, the Rams had a higher success rate than the Cardinals. So their overall success rate offensively was 55% versus 49% for the Cardinals, but they had a much lower EPA per play. And uh, there were a few killers here. So we had a Sony Michelle fumble, and I've discussed before how these fumbles are hugely, hugely impactful. Normally they're from good game script situations, you know, first and 10, second and short, those sort of situations. It was a negative six EPA. So that's six points lost on that Michelle fumble. There was another 3.8 lost on a failed fourth down conversion at the end. That was kind of garbage time. So I'm de-weighting garbage time. Also, uh, really focusing, though, on the fourth quarter, because even when there's a huge lead earlier in the game, teams don't really change their their play, even if the win probability is extremely low. Um, so I'm not going to do one of these things where some some people will cut out you know anything below a 10% win probability. I'm not going to do that because there's plenty of impactful plays that are going on there. Mine is much, much lower. Mine's near the end of the game, more like a couple of percent maybe. Uh, once a team only has one or 2% win probability. Um, there was also uh, interception, you know, the, the pass to Deshaun Jackson. Now that one, again, I'm, I'm crediting most of that. I'm not taking away too much here. So there was a total of about nine on turnovers. Uh, they had a 10% drop pass rate. So I'm making some adjustments there. So all of those things went into it. And if you look at the Cardinals, so they had this awesome offensive performance, right? Um, if you look at their total EPA per play, it was 0.32. So that's a 95th percentile type of outcome, even higher there. But like I said, their success rate wasn't that high. So how did they accomplish that? Well, I think that there can be a temptation to think that this Cardinals offense is always going to be an explosive offense, is always going to be an offense because of Kyler Murray and his ability to scramble, to convert third downs at a higher than expected level. And that's what they did in this game. But, you know, they didn't really do that last season. They actually had fewer third down conversions than you would have expected last season. They were underweight on that also going into this game. So I don't want to extrapolate too far forward for this this game that everyone was watching, assuming that this is going to be the pattern for them going forward, despite the fact that it was an impressive victory. Uh, so the Cardinals were nine of 15 on third down. So the three over expectation, which is a pretty huge amount when you're only, we're only talking about 15 third down attempts. And these expectation numbers, again, that I'm calculating are based upon down distance and field position. I'm, I'm modeling this and coming up with a, with a weighted number. I'm not counting a third and one the same as a third and twelve. Um, there was a six EPA gain on a 54 yard chase Edmonds run, which is a third and seven conversion that they made from their own four yard line. So that's a pretty fluky play. It was later in the game. So the win probability was very, very high already at that play. So it wasn't a huge win probability thing, but it did help extend that score a bit. Uh, the 17 point victory versus, like I said, something that was more like a seven, eight point point victory. Um, there was the third and six conversion, the 41 yard touchdown to AJ green. That was a huge thing. And then there were some other plays like Kyler Murray had an 18 yard scramble on third and 16. And that's just a huge, huge gain for, for a scramble that we've seen, uh, from him this year. 
So those were all big plays that ended up making this a little bit skewed and maybe a reason to say, yeah, the Cardinals were clearly the dominant team, clearly the winner, but not maybe head and shoulders above. This was still a strong underlying offensive performance from the Rams. Um, They weren't, you know, the Cardinals were not getting that much pressure on them. They had some mistakes on how the Rams were playing that ended up helping the Cardinals there. So a little closer than you would have thought. Um, And I also want to talk about some of these decisions that were being made during this game, specifically the decisions for the Rams and Sean McVay. Now, there's a joke. I think I'm not sure if it was coined by Adam Levitan of Establish the Run, but calling McVay a fake sharp, meaning he's someone that everyone sees as being a, a, you know, a new hip guy. But when it came to these fourth down decisions and other analytically sound uh, uh, decision making, he's pretty poor in that regard. And that would also extend out to, you know, Cliff Kingsbury and some other people that people had put into that category. But there, there weren't as many decisions for them. They were converting these third downs often. They were getting into these fourth down decisions. So I think from a broad picture, and I'm going to talk about this in regards to the, the Raiders Chargers game later, from a broad picture, the biggest problem with decision making when it comes to these fourth downs in the NFL is that there is a heavy bias towards making these decisions closer in the second half or in the fourth quarter when you feel like you have to make them as opposed to taking win probability gains, especially if you have a strong offense like the Rams do, taking those win probability games by taking some risk earlier in the games, quote unquote, staying in the game, right? Rather than worrying about pressing your advantage early. So there were some monster uh, given uh, win probability losses here through the uh, McVay decisions. I mean, the first, there were fourth and five, 23 yards from the end zone. Uh, this was a four or 5% win probability gain. It was a tie game. So again, McVay is probably thinking, hey, it's the first quarter. Um, it's the first drive of the game. Why don't I just take the three points? We're up 3-0 and there's no need to press things here, potentially get zero points and then we're giving the ball up and then the other team has the ball to start the second half, you know, all those sorts of things. There's plenty of reasons why you could rationalize being conservative there. But the problem is, of course, and what ended up playing out in this game is you're playing another explosive offense. So even if the even if it's early, even if it's tight, you have to be thinking about how do we maximize our chances of winning from the get-go, not thinking about staying in the game. So they gave up, you know, a little bit over 4% there. They had, when they were down 11 in the second quarter, uh, it was fourth and three, 49 yards from the opponent's uh, end zone. So they, again, they passed up and, and punted the ball here. And they probably thought, well, we're, we're, you know, we're within, we're within striking distance and so on and so forth. We're only down 11. Um, But these are the type of decisions on fourth and three with a high powered offense. I mean, we're estimating at least a 55% chance that you're going to convert one of these, these downs here. And you're right on the cusp where if you convert, you're almost all automatically getting into field goal range. You're almost automatically gaining points right there. So because of that, again, this is a four or 5% type of decision here that McVay passed up on. And then um, another one that we have here, which is again in the second quarter with only 325 left, Fourth and four uh, from the four-yard line, down 11. They decide to kick the field goal and take the points there. Now, this one's understandable in that they're getting the points. They say it's a one. we're keeping it a one-score game, um, but so only being down eight after making this. But again, it's just this is even a bigger uh, win probability 
flip here because you are down 11 to a good team that is going to get the ball first in the second half. You have to be pressing your, your advantage here and going for it and not keeping it within one score, which is going on here. That one was more like a five, 6% game. So if you total all these up here, the different losses that they've had in win probability based upon McVeigh's decision, we're talking about well over 10%. Close, closer to 15% win probability that was given up on these decisions. Now, he did decide to go for it, fourth down and one at the end of the game, but at that point, it didn't matter. It was one of those things where, you know, if they if they score at that point with 12 minutes left, yeah, you think, oh, we have a lot of time left, but the reality is even if you succeed on that type of play, you have a 4 or 5% win probability. Um, so it was the right move to go for it at that point. They failed. Um, the right move to go for it at that point, but really it was a situation where the game was already out of hand. So these these decisions are going to become more and more important as we're going forward. And as we're seeing teams, if you watch this weekend, we saw teams going for it on fourth down over and over again. And we're talking about a broad range of teams. It wasn't just the you know, Kevin Stefanski's of the world that we're doing this is not just the Brandon Staley's of the world that are being aggressive. We see a lot of teams being aggressive. So I think McVeigh is really going to have to take a hard look at reevaluating the situation, especially based upon opponent. And when you're playing another explosive offense, um, let me talk about Kyler because Kyler MVP talk is here. He is leading the odds. Currently he is above Mahomes and others as the MVP favorite right now, although Mahomes and Brady and some others are, are within uh, within striking distance to get back into this here. So what I will say about Kyler and Kyler is someone who I was dubious on last season when there was Kyler MVP talk. So I will say positive note here, much stronger case this year, as far as sustainability of his production going forward for the rest of the year. So let me just rewind back to last season to give an idea of why there was some skepticism on Kyler then and the differences now. So Kyler last year, the MVP talk for him was probably hottest when it got to post week 10, the, uh, the Hale Murray to DeAndre Hopkins, where they ended up defeating the, the Bills. That was when it was probably at its, at its peak. Uh, I don't think he, was, he wasn't leading the MVP case, but people were very excited about him. He was fourth in EPA per play at that point, um, and he's fourth now. So not a huge difference there. You'd probably be surprised to hear that Kyler is fourth because he's been playing so well, but he had some hugely negative plays, some interceptions. They had a pick six a couple of uh, weeks ago that ended up driving down his, his, his EPA quite a bit. So he's playing roughly the same there, but the big difference is last year through 10 weeks, he had about 70 total EPA that he had generated, but 42 was from scrambling and from running the ball and especially running the ball. We had 15, 16 EPA from running the ball. And so we're talking about 60% of his EPA was being generated on these runs. And these were not just like Lamar Jackson type of situations where he's running the ball, you know, 10, 15 times a game and they're getting steady gains. He was breaking off 20, 30 yard runs. He was breaking off long touchdowns that were beyond 15, 20 yards, which you don't see that often with regularity. There were some very unsustainable elements of his play. And from a dropback basis, when he wasn't scrambling, he was a mid-tier quarterback. He was not a playing at a high level in, in that regard. And that's why I was skeptical of him. And if you look for the rest of the year, he actually had negative EPA the rest of the year after that. Some of that was because of injuries and, but some of it was the offense falling apart and those, the lack of passing success caught up with him this season. Again, I mentioned fourth in EPA per play, 
uh, at a higher number though than he was last season. But scrambling and running the ball in it, so scrambling and designed runs, he's only generated five EPA total for there uh, out of the 36 EPA that he's generated so far this season. So we're talking about 15% versus 60% of his production last year is based upon that. He has negative EPA on designed runs, uh, slightly negative. These designed runs were really big for the Cardinals and was, and were bailing them out last year. So I think Kyler, you know, we can't necessarily hope for the type of overperformance that we saw in week four from a efficiency perspective over success rate, but he is doing things in a much more sustainable manner this season, which bodes well for his MVP chances, which I believe much more now than I did last year. And also bodes well for the Cardinals offense going forward. Okay. Let's talk um, Redskins. I'm sorry. I almost said Redskins. I did say Redskins. Uh, let's talk the Washington football team versus the Atlanta Falcons. Now, those remember last week when I was giving some plays that I liked, I said that I liked uh, the football team minus one and a half. Uh, this, this was a pretty lucky one <laughs> that they ended up uh, covering this, this game. So in this game, they won 34 to 30. So they ended up covering the one and a half. It actually moved up to two. So there was some closing line value on that one uh, that ended up happening. Now, if you look at the the game grades on this one, Atlanta was a slightly better team. So they got unlucky to, to lose this. So it was an unlucky, it was a lucky win if you had uh, uh, Washington winning this. I mean, there were pretty obvious, there's some obvious things to point out with and why this was lucky. One of it was that, uh, when J.D. McKissick scored that last touchdown from about, I don't know what it was, 40-something yards away, I mean, number one, they didn't need the touchdown, right? They were only down by two points. So if they got a field goal, they would have won by a point, and that wouldn't have covered. So that that's a pretty lucky circumstance. Uh, number two, you know, he dove into the end zone in this way where, I mean, in some ways he's lucky he didn't fumble it out of the back of the end zone and end up losing the game for them because the – the sharp play here, now you're not necessarily thinking about this when you're 40 yards away from the end zone. But the sharp play from McKissick there is just to run out of bounds at the five-yard line or something like that if you can. Oh, or stay, stay in bounds and just dive onto the ground and stay in bounds and then go ahead. Um, the Falcons only had one timeout at that point. They burned their last timeout. Uh, you know, you take a knee a couple times, you kick the field goal and you leave the Falcons zero time to come back. They actually left the Falcons some time to have a chance for a Hail Mary try at the end. Right. Um, so you would have taken that off of the board by doing that. And but you wouldn't have got the cover, of course. So that's part of it. Uh, the big story from this game was Matt Ryan and the rebirth of Matt Ryan. I talked a lot about last week how he was displaying the signs of a quarterback who is in decline, that Based upon studies I've done in the past, if you look at the last year of a quarterback's career before they go into retirement, once they're beyond, you know, well into their 30s or even in their 40s sometimes, the, the signal there is the lack of high-end plays. It isn't a big increase in negative plays. It is a decrease in what we classify as big-time throws, positive-graded plays, touchdown rate, all of these metrics that'll show you that you're pushing the ball down the field, long passes, those, so on and so forth. Matt Ryan hadn't completed a 20-yard pass, 20-yard air-yard pass until this week when he did it here. Uh, he only had three big-time throws in – I'm sorry, he had three big-time throws in this game. He only had one big-time throw that we graded as a big-time throw in the first three games. He had zero turnover-worthy plays in this game versus five in the first three games. 
Um, he had an average depth of target of 12.5 yards in this game, and he never had higher than 5.4 in a previous game. So he had four in the other game. So he was, he was averaging under five yards, average depth of target. So this was just a total flip the script here. I thought this would be a get right game for the Washington uh, football team defense, and it ended up being the exact opposite. You know, how did this end up happening? Well, there was a blown coverage for uh, the Cordero Patterson touchdown. There were a bunch of missed tackles on a Mike Davis touchdown that happened later. Uh, there were more, you know, it was it, there was another Patterson touchdown, which was a little bit fluky out there. So there were some fluky plays, but at the same time, they're just not generating pressure, this Washington defense. And that's what you're hoping for. That's what you're counting on. You're counting on the stickiness of that pressure year over year. And I think in particular, we have we have to really, you know, sound the alarm here to a degree on Chase Young. So Chase Young was the highest graded edge defender that we had coming out as a prospect, higher than Miles Garrett, higher than, you know, Nick Bosa, higher than than anyone else that we've seen coming out. And typically edge defenders start slowly. Uh, Timo Riske in our research and development department, he's done some studies on the growth curve of players as they as they go through their rookie season second and third year edge defenders typically start slow and start low and have a big jump to that second season we haven't seen that jump from chase young and that's part of the problem he has he's been playing right so he hasn't we haven't had injury concerns he had some injury concerns as a rookie uh and that's actually a reason why rookie production is down for a lot of uh for a lot of players is they rookies get injured more than veteran players because they're not really used to the uh, the offseason training and the practicing and everything else is at a higher intensity level that they may not be used to in the NFL. So no injury concerns so far this year. He has over 150 uh, pass rushing snaps. He has 14 total pressures. That's tied for 37th in the NFL right now. He has one sack, 78th. He has five hits, which is 10th. So he does have five hits. So he's not translating those hits into sacks, which is a little bit of a positive sign that we could hope for going forward for him. But if we look amongst edge defenders who have at least 100 pass rush snaps this season, his uh, pressure rate, so the percentage of time that he's getting a pressure on those pass rush snaps, is 32nd out of 37 edge defenders who have, who have the, at least 100 snaps this year. So we're on Chase Young watch at this point and continuing to watch that closely going forward because if they don't have that pass rush, uh, they got a lot of problems on the back end. And I was hoping that that defense would solve some of the communication issues, some of the disjointed play that they had on defense. There was a great article in The Athletic last week. Uh, Ben Standig and Ted Nguyen wrote an article about the problems on the Washington defense. And I was encouraged by those problems because – it was a difficulty lining up in the right place. It was poor communication on the back end. It, was, it wasn't a lack of talent. And that would I be more concerned about because how do you fix? You can't just like fix a lack of talent. You can try to scheme around it, but you can't fix it. So this was more of just problems on the back end. But then we saw immediately with the huge touchdown to Patterson and a blown coverage that those problems seem to be persisting here. So when you don't have the pass rush that's generating the pressure that you want and you have poor communication on the back end, it's continuing to be a problem for them. Josh Allen had by far his best game of the season against uh, Washington last week. And now Matt Ryan went from a quarterback who looked like 
he was done. He was cooked, pulled pork, as, as, as Charles McDonald called his, his arm, to a now a quarterback who had an outstanding game, had a 90 PFF grade, where his grade in the first three games never got over 66 in any, in any game. So a huge, huge uh, jump for that way. Now, another reason why Atlanta was seen as being better in this game, despite the score, was the fact that uh taylor heineke who's fun to watch i think that's everyone's going to say heineke fun to watch he had three turnover worthy plays none of them ended up being interceptions they were all you know not maybe the, the easiest plays for the defense to make as far as dropped interceptions are concerned but still none of those turned into into interceptions so i make an adjustment based upon that to 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 ding the score for uh washington a little bit there uh so that didn't end up happening there but, you know, he ran a good offense generally, I would say. He had a 63 grade, so, so not great. Um, and they also got a kick return, return touchdown, which helped a lot and is something that I get deweighted. So uh, a little bit disappointed by this was supposed to be a get-right game. This is a game that I really thought that Washington could dominate. And instead, uh, they made Matt Ryan not really look like his old self, but put up numbers in a performance like his old self uh, with the inability to play strong on the defensive end. Okay, let's go to Houston Buffalo. I mean, this is definitely not going to be one of the more exciting games to talk about here. It's a 40 to nothing Bagel City. Uh, the game grades on here is probably like the lowest game grade you could possibly have for a game that we have for the Texans because the, the game grade I have on here was only half a point. So you don't see that too often that a team is only, uh, they only scored zero points. You would assume a lot of unlucky stuff would have happened, but we only had half a point that they should have, that they should have been able to score. Now it was much lower for Buffalo. They were 40 and they were only at about 26 points. So there was a lot of advantages they had with good field position, with turnovers, with other things that, that put them in a, in a good spot there. Um, if you look at here, Josh Allen is struggling. I mentioned he had that good game against Washington. He continued to have a little bit of a, of a poor game here. If you look at his overall numbers on the season, he's 15th in EPA per play right now, 21st in PFF overall grade. Uh, he only had 1.4 EPA that he generated in this game. Not, not so good. And if you look at this season, you know, he's just, he's, he's just not, not really working that well here. Now he did have a very high success rate offensively and um, on, on drop back passing. They had almost a 65% success rate. So that's why, despite the fact that it didn't generate that much EPA and a lot of what they were getting was based upon the good field position and poor play of the Texans offense, the game grade didn't lower them down too much. You know, they saw it at 27 points, which is, which is decent there. And that's because they had the 65% success rate. The problem was they had, uh, they lost seven points on an interception, three turnover worthy plays. So that also hurt a bit, although they only lost the interception there. And, you know, the conditions in this game were not ideal. So maybe we can cut Allen some, some slack there. Now what's happening for the bills and I'm going to focus on them rather than the Texans. You know, we don't need to focus on Davis mills. He's, he's breaking my, when I try to uh, plot out, team and quarterback you know grades and epa per play and this and that uh davis mills right now is breaking everything because he's so far down into the into the left that he's he's off of the screen so i have to take him out or else everyone else gets bunched up together in, in the plot um, but we're talking about buffalo the thing you're going to want to look at is to say the defense is what's carrying them right now now sustainability of that you know or is it just a combination of the quarterbacks who they've played which who are big ben uh, Jacoby Brissett, and we've seen how awful Joe, Jacoby Brissett is. I'll talk about how bad he was 
last weekend, Taylor Heineke and Davis Mills. You know, not exactly a uh, murderer's row there. But, you know, as I've said about some of these teams where you can only play who's in front of you, right? So if you're going to play poor opponents, then it's good to dominate those poor opponents, right? It's good to say that you are having a top, top notch defensive performance across the board. And that's what they've done. Uh, they have not given up positive EPA per play in a single game this season, whether running against the run or on drop back passing. Now they face the Kansas City Chiefs in week five game of the week type of material because the Chiefs are also, you know, they're only two and two here. Uh, the Bills are looking a little bit better at three and one, but they have not been impressive to get to that three and one. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with this Bills defense versus the Chiefs offense, which is looking fairly unstoppable per usual. Okay, let me hit uh, another sponsor here before we get on to the next game. DraftKings Sportsbook. Probably want to take a look at the early lines here. And like I said, listen to the PFF forecast when they talk about this. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL and has a week five offer for every football fan should jump on. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943. So, you know, your odds are looking pretty good there. Um, if the sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can get huge cash prizes all season long with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a million dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Throw down $1 on any game and win $100 in free bets. If either team scores a point, that's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, uh, next game here, Detroit-Chicago. I mean, not the most interesting game, but we do have Justin Fields, who had a good performance. So it's relevant, I think, to discuss the particulars of what ended up happening here. In some ways, this was a disjointed offensive game for the Bears because on one end, we, we see, you know, if you're following Justin Fields, stands on on the twitter bot like i am you're seeing a lot of big throws that he made down the field right you're seeing a lot of plays where they had play action he sat back honestly sat back in some pockets that kind of looked like pockets that he would have seen at um at ohio state and he was making some some throws down the field right some some big time throws down the fields and i think that was what ended up making him look impressive he had a 73 grade here, which isn't, you know, off of the charts, but it's, but it's pretty good. He had four big time throws and only 18 attempts. So that's pretty strong there. But I think that 18 attempt number is really what we have to focus on a bit here. Uh, only 20 dropbacks in this game. So in some ways there were, I'm not going to say training wheels for fields, but they were able to run the ball successfully and they decided, you know what, we're just going to do that. And Detroit gave them a couple of turnovers, which they never really had to put Justin Fields in difficult spots, right? Only the 
only the 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 20 dropbacks um they only pass the ball their dropback ratio their passing ratio is 33 percent 15 percent under expectation so yeah they were winning a lot and when i adjust that to decide what you'd assume the pass ratio would be because they're winning so they were winning a lot but still 15 percent under expectation which is a huge number the biggest number of the the lowest number of the week as far as being run heavy in the game plan here uh they're in the 80th percentile as far as their success rate and their EPA per design run here. Uh, David Montgomery had a really great game before he suffered a little bit of a tweak and an injury, and we'll see how that plays out going forward. Um, And if you look at the top seven plays that the Bears offense made in terms of expected points added, five of them were run plays, and you typically don't see that. You don't see higher-end plays made through the running game, but we had a lot of those in this game for the Bears. Um, and like I said, Fields graded at 73, so good, not, but, but not great. So I think there were encouraging things about Fields' performance. A lot of people are going to say that he was put in a much better position and they ran a much better game plan. But, you know, you can't dictate as a coach against every defense to say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to run the ball really well. We're going to play action pass off of that run and we're not going to get pressured and we're going to be leading most of the game so that we have plenty of opportunities to do this. Yeah, it would be great if you could do that every week, but you know we're not going to be able to put Fields in that position every single week. So it's not as simple as Nagy doing this or Bill Lazor taking over the play calling, and that's why everything was fantastic. There, this was a, a, a game that was set up very well, and Fields executed well because of how he can how he can throw the ball. Um, now again, when I talk about the pressures on here, and a lot of this is because there were not really obvious passing situations, non-play action situations where the Lions could pass rushers, could pin back their ears and really go for it. Uh, There's only a 15% pressure rate on fields, despite the fact that his time to throw was over three seconds. So that's a pretty high time to throw, not a big pressure rate. For for contrast, Jared Goff had a 2.9 seconds time to throw and he was a 50% pressure rate. So they were generating a ton more pressure there because not only did they have better the better matchups, you know, Cleo Mack and company on the other side, but they were put into positions where the Bears defense could really tee off on them and go after them with the blitz in particular. Uh, there were some big negatives in at least an EPA standpoint for uh, for fields, and that's what kept his EPA number a bit down on this game. Uh, negative five EPA on interception to Mooney, but that was tipped to the line of scrimmage, so we can give that away a little bit. He did have a turnover-worthy play that hurt because it was a 24 yards lost on a sack, but it was, it could have been a lot worse because it was a play where he took way too much time. He wasn't sacked until about 3.5 seconds in. So we had plenty of time to think about it. And they lost about three and a half EPA on that one. So again, that's something that drives down. If you have a negative three and a half on a sack and then another negative five on an interception, despite it not being your fault, and you only drop back to pass 18, 20 times, you're just not going to have that great of a number overall. And that's one of the reasons that, at least according to the game grades here, which I forgot to mention for this one, um, despite the fact that it was a 10-point victory, 24 to 14, according to the game rate grades, it was more like a 28 to 21 game. So it was more like a six-point uh, differential there. And the last thing that I'll mention about this is that there were fumbles. That explains a lot of the difference between the two. Some people may have seen there was a very weird-looking fumble on a shotgun snap that Goff didn't know was coming and then bounced forward, and that was a big one. I mean, that was 
I think it was something like negative seven or eight EPA on that one because it was first and goal from the eight yard line. And they had another fumble too. So they lost about 11 expected points on fumble. So a huge loss there. So overall for the bears, not as strong of a victory as it may have appeared, the good and bad for fields, but you know, tempered, tempered expectations. I think for him going forward, you know, Nagy says that Dalton's still the guy. And this may be one of the reasons why he's saying that is that field still hasn't proven that he's not going to bottom out as we saw in a situation like the Browns game facing a good pass rush. So we'll see what they decide uh, going forward on who the quarterback is going to be there. Uh, Cardinals and the Dallas Cowboys. Again, uh, not so great for me on this one. I was, I like the Cardinals plus four and a half at Dallas. They end up uh, losing the game by 12 points, 38 to 26. If you look at, the game grades here, it was a little bit closer. It was, it was more like a 32 and a half I have here to 27 and a half. So about a seven point differential, but still plenty, plenty big enough to cover that number. Um, when we dig into some of the, the details here, in some ways it wasn't, in some ways it wasn't as close as that score because there was such a, a huge, uh, you know, win probability. They were up to hundred percent win pro- probability at the end of the third quarter. Um, the problem here for the Panthers this is kind of similar to how the bears game played out except for Dak was a little more efficient getting the ball out. You know, his time to throw was 2.3 seconds. So he got the ball out very quickly. So he was, he was more of a contributor to the fact that there weren't, there was no pressure, but the Panthers zero sacks, zero hits on Dak. And that was a huge factor there. Now they didn't have to run the ball. Uh, I mean, they didn't have to pass the draw back the pass very often. I mean, Dak was extremely proficient when he was doing that in this game, but they didn't have to do it that often. They only had a 44% pass rate because of the fact that they were running the ball. So, so well, um, if you look at, uh, for their run success, their run success rate, and this is again, percentage of plays that were positive EPA was up above 55%. So that was huge. That was huge to get them going, but their dropback success rate was 60%. So even higher, they're averaging half a point. Uh, on EPA per drop back. Again, no turnovers, no interceptions, no fumbles, no sacks that they took there. Um, the defense was actually somewhat effective when they got the, the Cowboys into the type of situations that they wanted them to get into. The Cowboys only had three, I'm sorry, only had 10 uh, third downs. They, they converted four of those 10 and a lot of them were shorter third downs too so that was actually 1.7 conversions under expectation they were they were expected to convert more like six based upon down and distance but they just didn't get into it that often because they were able to run so effectively and they were able to pass so effectively on early downs Dak Prescott actually had a negative on late downs and that's when he was dropping back more often and Carolina uh, blitzed on more than half of his dropbacks but again zero hits zero sacks he knew when the blitz was coming he knew where it was coming from. He was diagnosing it well. Um, and they were only passing in advantageous situations and he was getting the ball out quickly. So they had all that going for them again, utilizing the tight ends in particular uh, to get the ball out quickly there. Uh, the Carolina was a team that had been getting about a 50% pressure rate. They were only at 24% in this game. They've been getting what I call fast pressures or pe- pressures in fewer than two and a half seconds. They've been getting that uh, closer to 30% of the time it was only 10% in this game. So just really strong game plan by, by Dallas. And, you know, Dallas generated a ton of scramble EPA. There was almost five EPA in scrambles that, that Dak generated in this game. Uh, Darnold on the other side, 
you know, some of the Darnold-ish plays that you had to worry about that ended up coming through in this game. Um, as far as putting the ball at risk, which he had to do a little bit more often, according to how, you know, the game script played out in this one. And that ended up being somewhat of an issue. I mean, Darnold only graded at 53. So this was his worst grade of the season. He had a couple of turnover worthy plays, a couple of uh, two of those, both of those ended up translating into interceptions. He took five sacks. So he was taking a ton of sacks. Again, he was on the opposite end of the spectrum. He didn't have his security blanket when it came to Christian McCaffrey and he didn't have, um, and they knew that he was going to throw the ball a lot because of how poor of down and distance circumstances that they were in. And those things is just McCaffrey's, I mean, not McCaffrey, uh, Darnold's just not going to be the guy to be able to play you out of those circumstances. Despite the fact that, you know, he generated a ton. He's actually, his EPA per play was positive. It doesn't look that bad um, because he had, you know, these rushing touchdowns that he seems to be able to get over and over and over again. And again, when we're talking about you know, Christian McCaffrey, uh, he had led, he was second in the NFL to Travis Kelsey in first down conversions. He had one of the highest yards per route run in the NFL. If you look at his replacements for this game, I mean, Chuba Hubbard, he was only targeted twice, generated 0.1 EPA, basically nothing there. You know, the, later on, they actually generate a decent amount of, uh, of EPA to, to Rod Smith, who was a, like a third string running back so they're able to get something going there maybe you'll see more of them going forward chuba hubbard's just not a great receiver and i think that that took away that third down conversion blanket because if you look at on late downs here the um the panthers were really bad on third and, and fourth down uh negative half a point epa per play in those circumstances again from harder situations from longer down in distances so a disappointing game although i don't think it's a it was a hugely disappointing game for the Panthers. They just ran into an offense that was clicking on all cylinders and was able to do what they wanted on offense. And that made it very difficult for the defense to get anything going. Okay, let's go to the Colts and the Dolphins. This was going into it was looking like it was going to be one of the least watchable games. And I think that played out fairly well. Um, Jacoby Brissett just not getting it done. Uh, what's interesting about this one is the total success rate that the Dolphins had on offense was near 40%. So it wasn't so awful, but their EPA was just awful, awful. I mean, the score ended up being 27-17. We had it as being, at least my game grade had it as more like, it should have been like a 15-point victory. It was, it was, Miami actually played a lot worse than what that score ended up being there. They had um, some lucky plays there. Uh, you know, they had a fumble loss for Brissett there. There were five turnover worthy plays from Jacoby Brissett, but no interceptions. One of the fumbles did actually turn into a fumble. So that's one of the reasons that our game grade was much more negative on the performance than the actual score is I'm taking away points from them for those turnover worthy plays. I'm taking away points for those. And even though they did not translate into interceptions, there were a bunch of dropped interceptions. Um, There's a ridiculous play when they lost this fumble too. If people watched that, I don't know if Brissett was trying to think that he was spiking the ball or going to get an intentional grounding or whatever, which is bad, bad, bad. Uh, too many sacks. Again, he holds the ball way too long, about 10 EPA they lost on, on sacks there. Just really, really bad there. 
Uh, Wentz was decent. He had a 73 grade, no turnover worthy plays. Again, he has zero turnover worthy plays this season. So that's been a huge difference for him. Uh, what he did to boost his numbers in this game wasn't necessarily dropping back and throwing the ball, but he converted a fourth and one as he's been doing on a lot of these sneaks. Because I think it was a sneak. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't see it, but I'm going to assume he was. They're still using him on that despite the ankle issues. And then a second and eight in a pretty key moment, he converted with a scramble to boost his numbers, but just not a lot of high-end plays, not a lot of low-end plays. That's the way that Wentz has been playing all season. And it works against teams like the Miami Dolphins with Jacoby Brissett, who were not able to push them at all offensively, but it's not really going to work great against another good offensive team here. Uh, the running game went well, and they just Miami was not able to generate much pressure when the Colts were playing from ahead and knew what they were doing. And the Colts also converted two more first downs than, than expected. So that's the reason that gave them a little bit of boost in, in the numbers there. Um, not a lot to take away from this game, but the fact that Miami now one in three, and who knows when two is going to come back, who knows like how much two is really going to be able to elevate what they're doing offensively. And as part of the trade last year, they gave away their own first round pick when they moved back up. So the Eagles have possession of the Dolphins first round pick and the Dolphins have possession of the 49ers first round pick. So that may not have been the best decision there that they traded away their own pick there, because if things continue to go poorly, the Eagles could be looking at a potential top five pick that they're getting from Miami. And, you know, you don't, this is not second guessing here because there was a lot of, there was first guessing going on, at least for me, I even wrote a piece in the off season about the fact that Miami at least needs to think about what they were going to do when they had that number three pick that they were getting from the Texans and the Laramie Tunsil trade. They needed to really think about whether they wanted to look at a quarterback or not. Now, Trey Lance and Justin Fields haven't looked, you know, fantastic to say the least um, as they played so far, but I think at least from a physical standpoint, there's clear talent upgrade from what you're getting from, from Tua and they didn't want to move on. They not only traded back, but then they gave up a first round pick to move back up for Jalen Waddle, which was a bit of a reach. I mean, I like Waddle, but I had him as being the fourth ranked receiver behind not only Devonte Smith, but then also uh, Rashad Bateman, according to, to my modeling, which accounted for draft position also. Um, he just didn't have the numbers to really justify being that high of a pick. Uh, Chase was more of a guy who really hit every single bar as being like a 99th percentile type of prospect. To, to well, While you can quibble with whether they should have gone with a tackle or not there, he at least justified, in my opinion, being up there. And their offensive line is just awful. I mean, it's awful across the board. And they've been missing on some picks. And it's not just that they've missed on these picks, which I think is excusable, the extra picks that they've gotten, but they have reached at, at a decent amount of these players, at least via V consensus board. So reaches are more likely to be wrong as I've talked about in the off season, because you are saying you're smarter than everyone else. Whereas if you are getting a player, that's a value that's been dropping, that's not necessarily a great play because other teams are all are passing on them. And there's, there's signal from that. So they're reaching. So those, we can be more confident that reaches are bad on some of these picks. They didn't go for the quarterback when they could have, they traded up and gave away a pick to move up to get Waddle where it cost. And then you saw how the Eagles moved up and gave up a lot less. They only moved up a, a tiny bit, a couple spots to get probably a superior receiver in Devontae Smith. Just a lot of issues with, you know, pick accumulation has been good. The overall concept of the rebuild has been good, but they could have been maximizing their chance for really high, high end play by looking at quarterback, by not giving up 
uh, picks to move up, those sorts of things, a little bit of questions. And it's, it's a little bit of make or break time for the Dolphins this season going into the next couple of weeks if they can get anything done. Okay, let's talk about the Browns and the Minnesota Vikings. Ugly, ugly game. It was kind of a mirror image, that Spider-Man meme of ugliness between Kirk Cousins and Baker Mayfield. Uh, really bad success rate for both different offenses in this in this game. Let me get the exact numbers here. So, uh, yeah, so a 36% success rate for the Browns, which is poor, poor. It's like... Uh, bottom 10th percentile type of outcome uh 50% i mean 35% for the vikings again awful and this is a game that the browns end up winning 14-7 uh according to the game grades i had them as being slightly better about a point and a half better so i guess that would have covered the one point that they had there minnesota got unlucky to to not score as much as as, as they had um i mean the big thing that happened with the browns is they had these really, really low success rates, but running the ball, their EPA per play running the ball was almost 0.2, despite only having a 43% success rate running the ball. Actually, 43% is not that bad for rushing. Um, but so like, like if you look at some of these, these differentials here, they, were, they had a success rate of 43% running the ball. They got 0.2 EPA per play. On the other side, the Vikings, their success rate was 36%. So yeah, worse, definitely worse. But their EPA per play was negative 0.2. So huge, huge, massive difference there. And how did this end up happening? I mean, this Browns running game continues to outperform its success rate by a lot. I think there is some stickiness to that, but um, I'm not going to expect it to go to the degree that it's doing so far, how much they're outperforming their success on a play-by-play basis by getting these explosive high-value runs. Uh and the real key here was these third down runs. I mean, they picked up a third and 20 running the ball with Kareem Hunt. Massively, massive positive play for a running play. They picked up, And they picked up another third and eight running the ball with Kareem Hunt. Another big, big, big gain there that, that they made. Uh, Baker has fallen off a cliff. And it's worry time for Baker at a 47.5 grade in this game. Um, this is the third. They had a sack on fourth down. First of all, Stefanski is doing great going for these fourth downs. The problem is Baker has now taken three sacks on fourth down in the last two games. Like, you can't take sacks on fourth down, okay? It's almost as bad as a throwaway on fourth down or, you know, spiking it into the dirt. What are we trying to avoid? Like, what mistakes are we trying to avoid? Why is the ball not getting out of your hand on these plays? The pressure was coming. But I don't think he was blindsided by any of these. you got to get the ball out of your hand. And even throw it up for grabs. It's fine. Don't put it in a position where it can get returned for a pick six. But even if you're throwing it up to a certain degree, you have to have to do that. You cannot take sacks on fourth down. And again, three times in the last two games that he's done that uh, on fourth downs. So after a promising start to the season, Baker is 20th in EPA per play right now. He's 27th in the PFF grade amongst quarterbacks. And if you look at... The EPA that he's generated in these games, he, he had 11 EPA against the, the Chiefs in week one, uh, week two against Houston, seven, so not great. Then negative one against the Bears. I mean, that was kind of like a sneaky bad game for Baker Mayfield that people may not have paid attention to because the Bears were so, so bad. And then down to negative 11 this last game, just a really bad game. This is a bottom, again, bottom 10 percentile type of performance, how bad it was here. Now, the positive note for the Browns is that the defense is, is is turning things around, and maybe they were actually pretty good from the beginning of the season, and we just didn't know based upon competition. Of course, Kansas City is Kansas City. They had this weird start against Terod Taylor where he, in particular, he scored on this 
25 yard, 30 yard scramble. Um, so that, that was kind of poor there, but now, you know, the NFC North, they've been playing the last couple of games and these have kind of been get right. This division is like, thank you, NFC North, uh, because now they have two games where they've been over the 90th percentile as far as their efficiency, their defensive, how they've kept offenses down with their efficiency against the bears and the Vikings dominating both against the run and against the pass. And if you look at the particulars of the players here, uh, the reason you really can get excited is they have some of these young players, some of the rebuilt defense. Remember, this was a defense that was 25th in defensive efficiency last year. Now they're sixth in defensive efficiency this year. But the positive signs are is that you're getting some of these young players, reps who are getting better. Uh, Greedy Williams had an 83 grade in this last game. He's finally, that snap count is getting back up again. He's getting back into good graces, I think, with the coaches and others there. Uh, Grant Delpit was in the 70s for his grade so far. Again, his snap count has been going up. His time is going on, recovering from that Achilles injury. Uh, you have Jeremiah Wusukoramora, who as a 90 grade, he has the second highest grade of any linebacker in the NFL right now. Off-ball linebacker, Matt Milano has the first as the highest grade there, uh, any with at least 100 snaps. So he's playing well. He's all over the place if you're watching the film there. Um, so that that's the positive for them. The we know about Miles Garrett. We know about uh, Jadevian Clowney and we and the, the, the defensive front, what those guys can maybe do. What's good is um, we know about Denzel Ward, right? We know about Denzel Ward. He's playing well. What's good is you have these other pieces coming together. And then in free agency, of course, they brought in John Johnson, who's been okay. Uh, they brought in Troy Hill, who's been okay, not great. Um, but again, just having competency and depth and competency, and those young players filling in, both of those things working together, the free agency, uh, pickups that they've had with Clowney and Johnson and Hill, and then the the draft pick and the draft capital that they've been investing in those positions over the last few years are are both are all coming together right now to get this defense up. Still, it's a wait and see because again, you can't really judge too much against that with that Bears performance. But the Vikings are, have been a good team. Kirk Cousins have been a top five type of quarterback going into this, and you know they completely dominated the Bears, which is a good sign because you have to dominate the bears. And then they also did as well as they could against, um, uh, against a, a difficult, what has had been a good Vikings offense. Okay. Before we get on to the next one, Western and Southern, the unexpected points podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern financial group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern financial is helps you advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. Okay, next game is Saints and Giants. Now, this is an interesting game because I'm not quite sure what Sean Payton is doing. I get that there can be some concern on the part of Peyton when it comes to a team that you think we have a good defense. We have a pretty good running game. Jameis can give us some high end play, but I'm scared of what Jameis Winston is going to do. So we're going to, we're going to ratchet down a little bit what we're doing this season. I mean, if you look in this game, of course, they lost in overtime for those. Uh, I should mention the particulars for those who don't know. 27-21, uh, touchdown in that first drive in overtime, which ends the game. And the expected score here, the Saints were actually 31-29 to for the Giants. So they were the better team despite the fact that they lost. Now, they weren't good enough to cover the seven-point 
spread, but they were a slightly better team. And so that's that's off from what we saw in the, in the results, according to my numbers. Now, their pass percentage in this game, 41.5%, 13% under expectation. Uh, the Giants, 73%, 12% over expectation. So they, they were able to juice that a little bit there. Now, the success rate in this one, the Saints, this is why they had such a good projection, according to my game grades, 54% success rate versus only uh, 46% success rate over, uh, offensively for the Giants. The thing was their EPA per play, though, was lower. And there were some explosive plays for the Giants. There was also uh, an interception from Taysom Hill, which was uh, pretty ugly. Again, it was like an arm punt type of situation. There was penalties. They lost two and a half uh, EPA in penalties. So, I th- so, so that was a factor in why they did not perform as well as what my game grades would have said. But it's really the situation with Jameis and what's going on, why they, they're going to have to turn it over to him a little bit. So far this season, they're the lowest as far as their pass rate versus expectation. And over the last two seasons, only the Patriots with Cam Newton were lower than what we've seen from the Saints this year. You got to let them throw the ball a little bit more. Jameis was fifth in EPA per play this week, yet they lost the game. Uh, He had a 91 grade passing grade this week, yet they lost the game. No turnover worthy plays for Jameis, right? Uh, and then Taysom had that interception. So at, at a certain point, and maybe this will happen once they feel like the division's getting away from them, which is already started, starting to happen, honestly, uh, Peyton's going to have to be more comfortable. I don't know what he's seeing in practice. Maybe James is throwing a ton of interceptions in practice, but you got to be a little more comfortable turning it over and giving it to him more. Uh, they didn't convert a fourth and three in the first quarter also, which was the most costly play of the game. So that was another thing that reflects more negatively on the actual score than on my on my game grades there. Now, Jones had a much higher EPA than his success rate. So his was a kind of a fluky game. He had a good grade, though. We, we continue to, to love um, Daniel Jones and his grading here. Actually, let, let me bring it up because I didn't I forgot to write down exactly what it was. So, yeah, so if you look at his grading and, and he continues to be, I think, the second best grade in the NFL right now. Uh, behind Tom Brady. He had an 84 grade, so pretty good passing grade there. Um, so he had a good grade, good EPA, but his success rate was not so high. Uh, he just didn't have big negatives, right? He only had three negatively graded plays. And then, although he did have one turnover-worthy play, right? Um, but he there was a 54-yard TD pass to Barkley, which gave him a huge boost. And there was that third and 18 conversion to Kadarius Tony, which Tony did a lot of work on that one too. So those two things kind of gave Jones a pretty big boost in his EPA per play and what put him up, what put him up there there. So I think in this game, it's a hard loss for the Saints to take because they should win this game. They're getting good performance from Jameis, good enough to win with. Still too much Taysom, still way too much running the ball. Um, and it was very, very unsuccessful, their attempts to run the ball this game, and it ended up costing them in the end. Uh, the conservative conservatism ended up costing them there in the end. Um, Seattle, San Francisco. I want to talk about this one because, in particular, because it's one of the few games where there's a really big uh, disconnect between my game grades and the actual score. So San Francisco was a two-and-a-half-point favorite playing at home against the Seahawks. They ended up being a 28-21 game that they that they lost. My expected score, game grades, would have had it at about 23, 24 points for the 49ers and then only 20 points 
for the Seahawks. So why, why is that the case? Well, there's a few different things here. The total success rate was much, much higher for the, uh, for the 49ers. They were near 50%, only 35% for the Seahawks. So how did this end up being a close game? Well, what doesn't factor much into my game grades at all, but factors hugely into the final score is there's a missed field goal that the 49ers had. Obviously there's an injury to Robbie gold there and they tried to have their punter kick a, a 41 yard field goal. So 41 may not sound like a short field goal, but in the NFL, that's a 95 percenter, right? That's one you're going to make most of the time. Um, and then there was the muffed kickoff. So those two plays combined were more than 10 points and expected points that they lost off of there. Both, both of these, one, the, the muffed kickoff was the most impactful play of the game. The missed field goal, believe it or not, was the fourth most impactful play of the game in either direction, right? Not just the fourth most negative play, but the fourth most impactful play. So if you look at the absolute value there. So those are both huge, huge plays. Uh, There's another three points on a defensive pass interference to lock it, which I discount, probably discount too much. I watched that play. That was a legit uh, DPI. And not only a legit DPI, it could have been caught and then a touchdown. <laughs> Potentially, he could have taken even further for a touchdown if the if the defender did not grab on that play. So for that reason, maybe it was a little bit closer uh, than what my game grades would have said. But and you know the 49ers, what they what they had problems with, they're particularly bad on fourth down. Uh, you know they they lost some fourth down tries, and that ended up being highly negative for them. And Trey Lance, let's talk about Trey Lance's performance here. He ended up with really good efficiency numbers because of the busted coverage, long 65-yard touchdown to Depot Samuel, but he almost actually airmailed that one. So it was a pretty poor throw. His grade was sub-50, though. So we, we hammered him over and over again, turnover-worthy plays, Garoppolo, turnover-worthy plays, no big-time throws for Garoppolo again for like the 15th straight game. Um, so there are definitely negatives there to – Lance's play he did not play well he did not have a chance to practice much though obviously maybe they can have a different game plan he was put into a situation where they had to come from behind all of those different things together but I'd say generally when you're looking at the the 40 the 49ers the issues here were some unlucky plays so the the kickoff and the the field goal that I mentioned but also defensively you know you just got to get a little bit more going they keep the success rate down which is good. And I think that'll, that'll end up playing out well overall. But if you look at the pressure numbers, 26% pressure rate for, um, for the, the 49ers, which is okay, but it's just not going to get it done. Not going to get it done. I mean, they did generate a decent amount um, as far as their sacks. I mean, they did sack Russell Wilson a few times. He lost about five EPA there. But again, Wilson's a guy who takes a lot of sacks and loses a ton of EPA on those plays. Um, So to lose a game like this for the 49ers, despite the fact that Russell Wilson had a pretty average game uh, based upon a bunch of fluky plays was a big, big negative for them. And, you know, they got kind of lucky offensively with what they were able to generate in that game versus how good they actually were. Okay. Let's go through the rest of the later games here. Which ones haven't we hit? Um, Jets and Titans. So this was a Titans were five and a half point favorite. The Jets end up winning by three points in overtime. Um, I had the Titans as being slightly better in this, in this game. They had a slightly better success rate. So I think that plays into it a lot. 
both teams struggled. Neither team had, uh, both teams had negative EPA on the game. In particular, the Jets struggled running the ball. They were a little bit better when it came to passing the ball, only being slightly negative. They were much more negative uh, running the ball. And again, when it came to uh, Tannehill, the problem for him is, is the sacks, right? He had a negative 11 EPA on, on his sacks here. And even beyond that, he is giving up these big, big plays with the sacks because of the fact that he can't hold on to the football in, in a lot of these circumstances. And it ends up being one of the more negative plays that we see from him over and over again. Now, the sacks here, uh, he, I think he recovered his own fumble on one of these sacks, so we didn't have to worry about, worry about that one. But still, you know, on a third and seven, he took a big sack, which is a negative three EPA. On a third and one, you know, it was aborted. There was a fumble there. Um, well, that gets targeted to Tannehill, but it's a little bit maybe of a, of a play that doesn't necessarily go to him. So that's, that's a bit of an issue. Uh, Tannehill had a big play on a pass interference, which ended up uh, helping that, that game grade get a little bit closer. And I think Zach Wilson, if you look at his performance from a grading perspective, uh, he actually hasn't been grading as poorly as his EPA. His EPA has been uh, the worst. He still is according to my numbers, his EPA per play this season is um, dead last. So he's still, he's still at the bottom right now, um, despite this is like the first game where he hasn't been god-awful, I guess. So maybe there's a, there's a positive there. He's actually worse than Davis Mills, if you believe that, in EPA per play uh, so far this season. So that's bad. But from a grading perspective, Right now, Wilson is 28th out of 34 passers who have at least a minimum of 100 snaps. So not great, but, you know, better than Taylor Heineke, uh, better than Trevor Lawrence, better than Ben Roethlisberger, better than Jimmy Garoppolo, about equal to Jared Goff, pretty close to Baker Mayfield. So we've been more positive because of the, the big time throws. And that's and the fact that while he's had some of these negative plays, um, we haven't credited him with turnover worthy plays for all of the different negatives that he's been making. And those factors have played into why his grading has been a little bit better than what we've seen on an EPA basis. I mean, he had a 72 grade here. We continue to love Tannehill. He had a 77 grade here, which I guess was the three big time throws that we had here versus the one turnover worthy play. But again, they just were not able to get a whole lot going offensively. And he took seven sacks. Like you just cannot take seven sacks and it not be your fault to a certain, to more of a degree than what we're seeing here. Uh, again, Wilson, three turnover worthy plays, um, turnover worthy plays, only one interception. So they got a little lucky there, uh, but four big time throws. So it's good to see the high end stuff. I think from a rookie quarterback, you'd rather see high end and low end stuff than just middling performance the entire time. And that's what you got from Zach Wilson this week. Okay. So the next game we're going to hit up here was the Sunday night game. and the uh, most anticipated game in the history of the universe, according to every single ad that I saw here. Uh, Tampa Bay was a six and a half point favorite in New England. They end up winning by two points, 1917. The game grade was roughly in alignment with that, had it was being about a three points better. Um, if you look at the game and what happened here, I think it was positive for Mac Jones in that things fell apart for him against the Saints when he, they weren't running the ball well when they weren't um, able to dictate game script. But in this game, 
you know, they threw the ball 87% of the time, 18% over expectation because of who they were playing. This is happening to Tampa Bay on a weekly basis now. I mean, they only had eight design runs, zero successful design runs. So they had a zero success rate uh, running the ball. They lost 0.8 EPA per run. So pretty bad there. But what's also interesting is they actually had um, negative EPA passing the ball. I mean, in total, um, because of how bad they were running the ball and they were about flat passing the ball. And so was uh, Brady. I mean, Brady continues to grade well, as usual. There were a bunch of drops there. Um, if you look at the grading, I mean, let me bring up the grading for the, for this game because Brady continues to be way out in front as far as our grades are concerned. If you look at on the season so far this year, he is number one with a 92.8 grade. Tannehill is second with 90. And there's even a a much bigger gap if you look just at the passing grade. If you look at the passing grade, Brady is a 91.7, and no one is higher than an 87 right now. So there's a big, big gap. He is up at the top as far as as that's concerned. And in this particular game, you know, despite the fact that they – there were some turnovers despite the fact that it, there were some missed throws and we, there was a lot of talk about the conditions and other missed throws. He still had an 80 grade. He still ended up being an 80 grade for us. Five big time throws, no turnover worthy plays, continues to have zero turnover worthy plays on the season. I don't think it's a big concern what happened here with Tampa Bay. The problem, of course, is the back end with all the different injuries that they've had there. I think they can piece things together, maybe a little bit better than some others think. It wasn't a dominating win for them i don't put them as being on the same level as the chiefs because i'm just more confident in the chiefs offense despite the fact that Chiefs defense has been so bad but i still think there are positives for for tampa bay the fact that they came away with a tough victory on on the road here speaking of the chiefs i think i may have missed uh discussing them earlier so let's hit that game up so philly versus kc kansas city was a seven point favorite and they end up winning by 12 points, a pretty dominating victory, although non-dominating defensive performance. Uh, our expected score is 40 for versus 42 for KC, and that's weird to see. Like to get an expected score over 40, that when we're discounting your explosive plays, that just shows you how awesome they were. Their total success rate was almost 65%. EPA per play in total was half a point per play. And that includes the fact that they were running the ball 43% of the time, at least they were over pass over expectation at 8.5%. That's something I've been annoyed with them about is that there were only about three or 4% in other games. So they cranked that up a bit in this game, which I thought was good. And they were really running the ball. Well, I mean, they've had some fumble problems. They have run the ball well, generally, but this was a type of game. If you were watching it where the defensive fronts that they were facing, even against uh, Eagles defense that you think would be pretty stout up front. uh, Often they were handing the ball off to Edwards Hilaire or uh, Daryl Williams, and they were getting four five, six, seven yards downfield before anyone was even close to them. So they had about a 55% success rate running the ball and dropping back to pass. This was basically chef's kiss. Perfect game. Uh, I know there was an interception again. I'll point to the fact that Mahomes is really smart with these interceptions. It was a third and nine. He was about to get sacked. Did he take a chance? Yeah, but you know, you're, you're just losing field position on what's going to be essentially a turnover on a punt anyway. So uh, even with that interception, which ended up costing them, let's see, 4.7 EPA. So it was somewhat costly, even though, uh, even though it was in the, in in the middle of the field, he still averaged 0.7 EPA per drop back. That's a hundredth percentile type of game. 
69% success rate, dropping back to pass again, hundred percent sort of game. They were doing everything that they want there. I mean, he got his EPA juice with these underhand passes that he was throwing through there. So, you know, those get counted as, as dropbacks and passes and not runs, but you know, that, that's the way it goes. Um, you know, the fast pressure rate that the Eagles have was over 25%. So they were getting there. They just were not making plays here. Um, the chiefs were blitzing a lot, but again, they weren't doing particularly well either. Uh, the third downs were ridiculous for the chiefs. They converted 13 out of 15 late downs, uh, 5.1 over expectation, just a monster monster game. It is something they do consistently, but again, they were just firing on all cylinders here. There's really no chance for, uh, the Eagles to stop this, this offense, the way that they were playing there. I mean, maybe they could have done something to stop them, but it sure didn't seem like they had any chance of being able to do it. Mahomes is moving on up in my quarterback rankings, which weight about equally grades and EPA per play. He is now number one, despite the fact that his grading is still, while it's moved way up on this performance here, his best performance of the year, he had a 90th percentile, uh, you know, grade here, despite the turnover over the play, he's still not in the, in the top five in our, in our grading. Uh, he got a, a few points scrambling again. He does the scrambles almost as well as anyone that you can imagine there too. So he just really combined everything in this game. So the concern here, and I do think that you have to start to wonder about this KC defense. Now, the, the matchups that they've had right against a Browns team, which is starting to look a little fraudulent, but they ran the ball extremely well <laughs> in that game. Um, against the Ravens, against and, and Lamar Jackson, against the Chargers and Justin Herbert, and against a surprisingly decent uh, Jalen Hurts. And maybe I should talk about Hurts a little bit here before I get into the Kansas City defense. So Hurts played as you know as well as you could hope. They really passed it over expectation, so it wasn't a case where they were content to just try and get lucky here. I mean, his grading wasn't great because he had two turnover-worthy plays, but uh, 66 grade isn't, isn't horrible there. Very, very high volume, 50 pass attempts. So even though he got the 400 yards, it looks a little bit less impressive when you, when you factor in how many pass attempts that he had there. But again, he's a guy that they can put a lot on his plate. He may not be the most accurate guy. He misses some throws, which ends up getting him some negative grades. He takes some risks, which ends up getting him some negative grades. But there is more high-end potential here to you know, stay in a shootout type of game as long as it's not a shootout against the Chiefs when they're, when they're firing on all, on all cylinders. So again, getting back to this Chiefs defense, like I said, um, in week, if you look at their, their percentile for how the success rate that they've given up against the teams, so this, they're in the, they were in the first percentile in week one. They gave up a, a, so this total success rate against the Browns were 63% success rate. They give up a 58% success rate, which is third percentile that, that bad. Uh, they give up a 53% success rate. I'm sorry, that week two was against Baltimore against uh, the Chargers are actually their best performance where they're only in the 20th percentile for their, uh, they're way up in the 20th percentile for their success rate given up. And then they were down in the bottom 10 again in this game against Philly. They are dead last in success rate against them and EPA per play. Part of that is the fact that opposing teams are passing it a decent amount against them. Um, I don't know if it's more than you would expect. Let me see, let me get that expected pass rate here against the defense. So the defense this year, um, 
actually this runs pretty much in line with their expected pass rate, but it is, it is at um, 63%. So defenses are passing at a decent amount against them. I guess I kind of assume they had more leads than they did. Now that I'm realizing, you know what, maybe they're more like in, in, in the middle of the pack as far as the pass rate against them. So that's not that much of an excuse for the fact that they have the 32nd ranked defense in both those different categories. That's where they're going to need to get going. It's really everything. It's, it's, it's not just like on the back end making mistakes. It's not just fluky bad plays. They're just consistently getting beat in the running game and they're not generating pressure. So this is either going to be a situation where they may need to look I don't know. I don't know if they're going to address this in the trade market. Obviously, they didn't have Matthew at the very beginning of the season, but even with him back, things haven't really been coming together there. Uh, they haven't had Frank Clark. So now Frank Clark defenders maybe can point to this and say he's the reason that things haven't been going so well. Um, but they really need something because while the Kansas City offense can continue to do this, they need to play at a little bit higher level. Although the one caveat is they've played some good offenses. So maybe we shouldn't get too, too concerned about what ended up happening in this game and we'll find out more against buffalo next week all right um oh denver and, and, and baltimore i missed also so this was another game uh, bad on me where i thought denver would compete more in this game it's not a whole lot to talk about for the fact that bridgewater got knocked down in the first half he had a drop pass by albert o down the sideline which could have been good but you know it was just ugly before that he only had a 36 percent success rate only a 32 percent rate on their dropbacks uh Bridgewater was really struggling in this game uh they lost 23 to 7 and it would have been 25 17 so a little bit closer according to my game grades because of the fact that there were a lot of explosive plays for Baltimore where maybe you could say that would continue going forward but you know their total EPA was much much higher than their only 44 percent success rate that they had they're having trouble running the ball and I think this is this is starting to be a concern now it's good that Lamar is able to win these games when the running attack isn't there, despite the record and, you know, getting the hundred yards straight over and over again. And I know that was a big kerfuffle, so I'm not going to talk about that too much, but um, this is now the third out of four games where they had very negative uh, efficiency running the ball. It's three of their worst performances they've had in the last three years. It's three bottom five performances that they've had. it's got to, I'm not just going to point to the fact that they're using the, you know, the 2015 all-stars with Le'Veon Bell and um, Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray. That's probably part of it. As we saw, um, Tyson Williams had a much higher rushing yards over expectation, a number that Next Gen Stats has. He had a top number. That's been a top number for Ravens running backs for multiple seasons going back, whether it's Gus Edwards, whether it was J.K. Dobbins, whether it was Mark Ingram. All these guys had always performed well because of how that system helped them generate additional yards. That's not happening. Latavius Murray is in the 30s for where he is for running backs who have had at least 20 carries this season. So it's some of it it may be on the running back because Tyson Williams has done better. I think there are problems blocking though. Lamar is not doing as many design runs as he had done in the past, but it is, there is some positives to the fact that he's been able to throw the ball. Well, the question is whether they can keep those explosive plays going on offense, um, passing the ball without having that foundational running game that was giving them like almost a built in low variance advantage on a week to week basis that hasn't been there. Um, and can become an issue going forward. The only good game they had actually was against the Chiefs, the Chiefs team that can't stop anybody. Uh, that's the only good running game that they had so far this year. Um, they did a great job 
just deflecting pressure in this game. This was a game where, again, it helps from a great game script perspective to be able to do that by knowing what's going on. Um, you know, there was a 50% pressure rate and which is kind of high, but again, there, there was something where they were not getting home. Right. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, that, that was actually a 50% pressure rate on Drew Locke. They only had a 35% pressure rate. That makes more sense. Despite the fact that the Broncos were blitzing 62% of the time. So they were not able to get pressure. So that is a positive for, um, for Lamar. His time to throw was only 2.8 seconds, which is low, which is not low generally, but low for him. So he's getting the ball out quickly. They were using play action on 60% of what I call neutral down. So they're using a ton of play action to help take away that pass rush. And I think it worked very successfully. And again, there were some drops there, but Lamar was still successful. Um, Maybe not as egregious on the drops as we saw the previous week with Marquise Brown, but something's going well offensively. And now they got Rashad Bateman coming back. You got other guys coming back. So there's like good and negatives to the Ravens. I don't know which way to go here. And for Teddy Bridgewater, the first disappointing performance, um, the Ravens defense, they finally stepped it up here as far as what they were doing. But like I said, there was a drop there and they only got a half to play. So I don't want to read too much into what was was happening there. And they actually ran the ball pretty well, um, the Broncos, but they just weren't able to continue running the ball because of how far they got behind the eight ball in their score. They had a 50% success rate running the ball over 0.2 EPA per play. We saw some tremendously good runs from Javante Williams uh, breaking tackles there, but they just weren't able to be able to press their advantage there. And that's why they went down uh, so quickly and were, and were stuck playing from behind, throwing the ball. All right, so... I believe this is the last game here, unless I missed one. Oh, no, I missed a Green Bay Pittsburgh. So let me hit this really fast. This is ugly, ugly game. Um, six point favorites for the Packers. They win by 10, 27, 17. According to my game grades, it almost exactly matches the actual score. If you look at total success rate, 41% for Pittsburgh. Yikes. EPA per play, negative 0.2, just awful, awful numbers. And the thing with the Green Bay though, is they didn't have a very good offensive performance either. So the question is whether or not we're getting a little bit concerned with Rogers because, you know, he was the MVP last year, but he had some off performances the prior couple of years. If you look at Rogers, he's 25th in grading right now. If we look at him in EPA per play, he is 20th. So not awful, but not great by any stretch of the imagination. And this is another game where he didn't play particularly well. Um, So we're going to have to a little bit of a wait and see to see whether that can turn around. Although the Pittsburgh defense is not the easiest to play against. And, you know, they had a lead really the entire time. If you look at the expected pass percentage for them was only around 55%, whereas it was around over 70% for Pittsburgh. So that shows you, even though it was a 10 point victory, which may not sound dominating, they were really leading most of the way through and pretty significantly. Uh, They also had a fumble. So that hurt them. Uh, They lost uh, six EPA on a fumble there. Uh, The pressure rate was actually pretty low, only 25% pressure rate there um, for Rodgers. So that wasn't really what was affecting him. He just was missing some of the throws that you would normally see him make here. And under pressure, though he wasn't pressured often, his EPA per play when he was pressured was negative 0.6 EPA versus positive 0.3 when he wasn't pressured. So it was really a case of him doing extremely well in clean pockets, not under pressure, 
And then they ended up converting some late downs, which ended up helping quite a bit there. Roethlisberger, I mean, just cooked, beyond cooked, beyond cooked. I don't really know what else to say about him. 33rd of 34 qualifying quarterbacks in grading in EPA per play. He is 28th of 32 qualifying quarterbacks that I have on here. Um, just cooked, cooked, cooked. Uh, I don't even, I don't know what to do. Uh, I wouldn't know what to do if the Steelers, cause they're not really in a position right now to move to Dwayne Haskins or someone else. I don't think things are getting better there. They have the defense who's playing well enough. I mean, again, they held uh, the Packers this week to basically a flat score. They've invested extra first round picks in Minkin Fitzpatrick and an extra first round pick in Devin Bush when they made that trade up there. So they've invested a lot of their future. They put a huge, I mean, biggest contract, you know, defensive contract in the NFL on TJ Watt, just investment after investment after investment and um, nothing to show for it because of Roethlisberger and the offensive line. They just can't get anything going. Uh, Although Najee Harris has been good for, for fantasy. Um, I think he's third in PPR leagues. So you know, Browns fans who are all over me for saying I'd rather have him than Nick Chubb this season. You know, I'm going to claim my quarter season victory lap right there. Uh, okay, before we get on uh, to the final games here, we got one more ad to talk about here. My favorite, Manscaped. Uh, it's football season, and you know what that means. It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs, I, I did not write this, by the way, has never been easier, and it's time you join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using promo code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. It's three and out the window, three and out the window with all the other trimmers. Now go tame that wildcat offense. Um, The brand new lawnmower 4.0. You thought 3.0 was good. You thought 2.0 was good. This is analytically twice as good as, as 2.0. Uh, it's here to take your defense to the next level. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Definitely don't want that. Uh, thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Uh, the lawnmower 4.0 has 7,000 RPM motor and a new multifunction on off switch can engage in travel lock, uh, gives the ability to turn a light on, I guess, if there's, if (laughs) if there's a power outage, you could still, uh, maintain your your clippings there um it's waterproof too so not only a power outage maybe if there's a hurricane or something of that nature and the roof gets blown off of your house you're still good to go with this uh with the manscaped lawnmower 4.0 okay get 20 percent off and free shipping with promo code pff at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com use promo code pff manscaped Go for it. Okay, uh, Monday Night Football. For those who watched, um, I, I'm going to cop to the fact that I actually didn't stay up to watch the end of this game, and I watched the rest of it this morning because I'm an East Coast dad who has to get up at 6 o'clock because of my kids um, and the delayed, delayed London, the, the delayed lightning somehow on the roof ended up throwing me off. So this was a three. The, the L.A. Chargers were playing a quasi-road game here with so many Raiders fans there in L.A. Uh, were three-point favorites. They ended up winning 28 to 14. The expected score here was about the same 24 to 14. So it was a little bit lower for the chargers. And 
the reason they had an early 14 nothing lead they had a 48 percent success rate it was only a 32 percent success rate for the Raiders so the Raiders actually played pretty poorly according to my internal numbers here despite the fact that I think some people might thought they were okay um, scoring some in the second half they only had a 25 percent success rate running the ball negative 0.3 EPA per play they have been just god awful they're the worst team in the NFL running the ball they continue to be dead last running the ball so they did pass the ball 71 percent of the time in this game but it was only point four percent over expectation they need to get that number up get it up get it up get it up get it up i know you want to like have balance and all that stuff but um, you're just continuing to run into a brick wall when you're trying to run the ball on offense and it doesn't make any sense at all um but again Carr struggled here he lost five epa on an interception they did gain a decent amount of penalties on a uh dpi to henry ruggs couldn't convert to third downs, only five of 16 on third down. That was a problem for them in this game. And if you think Carr's numbers, you know, his grading, this is really one of the first poor grades for him here. He didn't take, he, he didn't have problems as far as sacks or things like that, but he didn't perform well under pressure. He was kind of a different ends of the spectrum. So the pr- pressure finally got to him at, at this game here. And when we're looking at some of the plays that happened here, the fourth downs, I think this is key in this game because it's another display of the conservatism versus the aggression. Now I had a little bit of a, not as positive of a view of what Brandon um, Staley was doing last when he played against the chiefs and they were going for these fourth and nines and other things that probably were not technically the right move there. So it's like aggression does not equal analytics, as I've said many, many times. So you don't want to necessarily say that they should have been going for all of these, but the problem is you have situations and when you're not being aggressive enough, again, it's these early, earlier game decisions that we had for the Raiders. Let me let me find the one that that I'm talking about here because there's one particular play where they're trying to you know quote unquote keep it close, and then the problem is that they need to be be pushing a bit more in these circumstances. Um, well, actually, they they picked it. They did go they did go for it on fourth and three and and not complete it. Um, so that one hurt. But there was another situation here where it was a go for it, fourth and three, down seven points. You know, again, they're 67 yards from the opponent's end zone. So they're on their own side of the field. But again, teams just need really need to look at the fact if you're if you're an underdog, you're on the road, kind of, you're down seven points. Um you really need to think about going for it on a fourth and medium situation, you have a strong passing attack here. It would have been about a 3% gain that they would have gotten that they did not do. And I think this one was key because there's always this thing. We're only down one score. We're only down seven. We don't want to, you know, risk more. Well, you're giving it up to an offense on the other side. That's going to come down and likely get some points on the next drive, no matter what you got to think about these situations more as being a turnover than what you, what you saw. Now, the fact when, Brandon Staley went for a couple different times at fourth and two around the middle of the field. These were, you know, closer to toss ups than you might think. So I don't mind the aggression here, but I don't know if we should necessarily be applauding him too much for these situations where they're up one, two scores and they're going for it in the middle of the field. It ended up working out pretty well for them, but not necessarily the smartest plays that you can, you can possibly make here. 
Uh, I mean, a missed field goal from Carlson when they went for a 52-yard field goal, that was a pretty hugely negative play from an EPA standpoint. Uh, they lost four on that. So it's, again, it's a situation where nine yards to go, probably want to go for that kick there, a good enough kicker, but you might want to press it a little bit more because at that point, you're already at like a 15% win probability. I think people don't really kind of realize that, that factor too. If you're down one, two scores, even if it's early in the game, if you're an underdog, you have a very, very low win probability at that point. So people should think that it's much, much closer than they are. And that's a bit of a, of a misconception on, on some of these things here. But generally, I'll say that the Raiders still got pressure. They got a lot of pressure on Herbert. So that would be the one thing that I would point to. And I would say, you know what? I'm still somewhat confident in here. 35% of dropbacks, they were getting a pressure in under 2.5 seconds. That's big. Uh, that's what you want to sustain this Raiders defense, which has been a top 10 defense so far this year. And if you look at the overall offensive performance, again, from the Chargers right now, uh, what they had in this game, 48% success rate, which is okay. Total EPA per play was a slightly negative. So again, this was a good game from them. Now, some of that was when the Chargers were already playing from ahead, but I think this is a, actually a positive. I would say this is a positive outcome for the Raiders overall. Um, you'd like to see a little more success running the ball, and they continue to do that a little bit too much. But you know, there were some bigger plays that they didn't convert, like the fourth down they didn't convert where they had the, the check down, which was of course an awful play from, from Carr. There was the field goal that they missed, which ended up being somewhat negative there too. It was a fourth down. They didn't go for that. They could have gone for. So if they, if they start, you know, going for some more of those fourth downs, passing a little bit more often to take advantage of that, of that efficiency. And the defense continues to play as it has, because again, I think this is maybe a at least top half defense, if not top 10 ish sort of defense, they can still make some waves here. Although playing in this very, very strong division, it's going to be more difficult, but still three and one don't have the tiebreaker now to the chargers, but firmly in contention for maybe making the playoffs this season. All right. That was it for the wrap up. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I'll be coming back at you again on Friday to wrap up the, uh, the Thursday night football game. And I'll also be previewing everything that's going on in week five, we have, you know, the Rams and the Seahawks. I'll break down all the particulars in that one uh, for, for this game and also be previewing week five and giving an idea of some plays that I may like for you this weekend. Thanks everyone for listening. Go ahead and drop me a review on iTunes. If you get the chance, otherwise I'll be talking to you on Friday. Thanks. Thanks.